Welcome back to Probably About Politics. This episode, Holland. Alright, back in Europe. I was pretty old, I think, before I learned that Holland was the same thing as the Netherlands, Kaylee. I have to admit. Yeah, I was going to say, they, <laughs> they, uh, they re, uh, they're trying to rebrand that, like, officially. Uh, you're not supposed to call it the Holland anymore. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, the Netherlands, then. Or is mm-hmm. it just Netherlands? But we call it... It doesn't matter. Fun is it? Was it the Netherlands that the princess stayed in the hospital in like World War Two in Ottawa and had a baby, but then the hospital made the second floor, whatever, like territory of the Netherlands, yes. so that the yeah. kid could be king or whatever. Yeah, and that's why we get all these tulips now. Yes, look at that yeah. connection. Connection back home. Yeah, I think I remember whenever I like I went to I was going to the Netherlands in high school or something. And everybody was like, they really like Canadians there. You should definitely mention mm. that you're Canadian. And I always get nervous about that sort of thing, so I didn't really. But I'm led to believe they really like Canadians. How do you so. bring that up? I guess like I get people say you should just like wear a patch on your bag that says that you're from yeah, Canada. Yeah. You're. Why did you go to the Netherlands in high school? Oh, just. <laughs> Just just fun. Yeah, back when we could travel. Out of all the countries in Europe that you've been to, mm-hmm. which <laughs> now that I'm looking at a map of Europe and also you at the same time, it seems yeah. like you've been to several of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how does, you don't have to say what's what's above and what's below, but how does Netherlands rank? Like, is it like third best in your opinion? Fourth, first, eighth? Uh, okay, I'm trying to calculate how many European countries I've been to. Uh, it is... We weren't there a long time, but I liked it. Amsterdam was fun, but I really injured myself in Amsterdam. Like, I had to use their hospital system. Oh, how was that? It was excellent. It was really nice. (laughs) It seemed, like, uh, very futuristic at the time, but I was, you know, running on a lot of adrenaline because I'd really, I'd hurt myself quite badly. Hmm. Um, But they gave me drugs, um, and uh, it seemed like high-quality healthcare. High quality uh, so, drugs in Amsterdam. Yeah. That's good of to hear. Of the hospitals <laughs> I've been to in Europe, I'd say easily number one. Okay. Well, that's a that's a good review, I think. For anybody listening at home, uh, if you haven't given us a review, remember, please go rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Give us five stars, thumbs up, all that. But Kaylee, you've been to many countries in Europe, but do you know who's been to more countries in Europe than you, most likely? No. Antonio Ooh. Gutierrez. Oh, I would hope so. Yeah, that's that's probably true. <laughs> uh, but this week, probably unlikely that he's traveling around so much. But what, what has he been up to? Well, do you know what day it was on Wednesday? The Wednesday, yes. Yes, it was Wednesday. What is it, March 3rd? <laughs> uh, it, was, uh, it, was World, it was World Wildlife Day. Oh. Um, Yes, and in marking World Wildlife Day, uh, Gutierrez, as Secretary General of the UN, um, used that time to sort of uh, highlight um, the protection of our forest resources and wildlife uh, as an important part of the Sustainable Development Goals, um, and uh, and and called on you know nations and, and individuals and businesses to be prioritizing that. Hmm. yeah it was it was like it was interesting i think you really brought into focus some like we all know i think we know trees and stuff are very good in terms of helping to regulate our climate yes Um, but he also really highlighted how important like life and uh the the all the the many like 80 percent of terrestrial wild species live in our forests uh and and it's supporting the livelihoods of, of millions of people uh particularly 
um, indigenous people. Uh, I think he said about 90% of the world's poorest people, uh, particularly indigenous people, are, are surviving on forest resources or, or dependent on them for support. Hmm. Really emphasizing that this is a key, key resource that we should be protecting, um, both from a climate perspective and, and their ability to absorb carbon, hmm. um, but just our general dependency on it as human beings. So if you say that there's a good economic value to the forest, then maybe people will listen. Yeah, but it's just a good economic value to sustainable forest usage. Yeah, uh, I guess. Uh, and he also pointed out that there's more a high. It raises the risk of zoonotic diseases such as Ebola and COVID-19 um, to uh, to decrease the amount of forests that we have available. Oh, yes. Why? Why is that? Does it like force animals out of forests like more into cities and stuff? I, I must I so he doesn't go, it doesn't go into it in the article that I read uh, mm-hmm. but I imagine and based on my loose understanding that it must have to do with the way that it increases the closeness of animals and humans and the uh, the healthy like resources mm-hmm. of forest life for animals but that's my guess if we have a listener who really knows a lot about animal or about diseases and disease spread in animals right let us know yeah send us a tweet say why why if you cut down trees then we get a bull <laughs> and so we should keep them of course uh but yeah it was it seems like a, a another like a, i feel like most of the things he's trying to talk to people are about covid recovery and vaccine access uh so it's sort of good to check in on the other things he would like us to be thinking about the other right. things that we have to tackle this is a pretty up. This is pretty upbeat for Antonio. He's normally a pretty negative guy. It seems. Well, he's always like trying to put a positive <laughs> spin on things, but it's always like he's like talking about yeah. downer stuff. Yeah, it's. A, I think it's about. He's he's always trying to be like, here is the opportunity of this, and hmm. that there is a tremendous cost. He did talk about the the cost of, uh, or uh, what is sort of the the uphill elements of it. I have not highlighted it here around uh, timber trafficking, organized crime, and illegal trade of wildlife. Um, right but uh but i was trying to you know stick to the the positives and how we can think about how important our forests are um but this did seem like a a nice chance to go off the usual path with uh with him Hmm. do you know how much of um the netherlands uh is covered in forest i don't how much the netherlands is covered in forest i can't find it i don't know how much I just happened to be on the Netherlands <laughs> Wikipedia page, and I thought maybe it would tell us how much is covered in forest. It doesn't. Uh, the, it's got yeah, an eco region of Atlantic mixed forests. Okay. Within the boreal kingdom, how fun is that? Very fun. Uh, and I think uh, one of the leaders of a party in this election mentioned uh, boreal peoples in a racist, uh, or uh, to allude to white people as uh, a superiority of white people. So. Uh, fun connection there. Wow. If we're trying to segue. Um, if we're not trying to segue with that, the largest national <laughs> park in the Netherlands is 370 square kilometers of forest. Okay. Um, and the Netherlands had a 2019 Forest Landscape Integrity Index mean score of 0.6 out of 10, ranking 169th out of 172 countries. Mm, seems not great. <laughs> Something to think about, Netherlands. Uh, I don't know if you're listening to Gutierrez, but uh, this is important. Canada seems to have ranked 10th. Okay. I mean, we have. have you looked outside? There are a lot of trees. Ah, I, we're 11th. We're 11th after the Russian Federation. Anyway. Okay. I'd like us to get up to 10. 
<laughs> let's head let's head to the kingdom of the netherlands mm-hmm. the kingdom of the netherlands under king willem alexander yes now there's been no change in monarchy but there is a change no. in government yes given that we went from we went from having an elected government with a prime minister to now having an entire cabinet and prime minister resign mm-hmm. but that cabinet and prime minister all remain as the caretaker government for two months so that we could have this election that was already planned yeah it's like when you say resigned and then like that they're acting you expect to go look at the news for the netherlands and see chaos but i am telling you this is one of the more boring elections we have covered (laughs) yeah in terms of headlines it's it's having um it's having a scandal that everybody's just like yep we yep we messed up sorry saying mm-hmm. we'll just pay everybody 30,000 euros that we affected we'll all mm-hmm. resign and we'll have an election and see see how it goes <laughs> <laughs> uh, so up up for grabs is 150 seats in a party list proportional representation system in the netherlands mm-hmm. the support for most of the parties is relatively unchanged since this scandal broke and everybody everybody resigned um the people's party for freedom and democracy which is the current party of the prime minister that like leads the coalition um abbreviated vvd even though there are no v's or d's in the party title but there are in there are in dutch um (laughs) and (laughs) confusingly okay i just want to make sure we understand this right off the bat Mm -hmm. mark rutte's party is the people's party for freedom and democracy that's mm-hmm. the kind of like the main party that's kind of like a center right liberal conservative party mm-hmm. um sorry conservative liberal part liberal party not yeah, a liberal that, conservative yeah. party <laughs> um so it's important to know that it's a liberal conservative party not a conservative liberal party whatever because the people's party for freedom and democracy should be contrasted mm-hmm. with the party for freedom <laughs> yes <laughs> which is the second party <laughs> the national right-wing populist party led by Geert Wilders. So as long as you can keep track um, the difference between the party for freedom and the party for freedom and democracy, and also the difference between conservative liberalism and liberal conservatism, (laughs) (laughs) then you're on the right, you're on the right track. All right. Uh, Yeah. And and they are, I mean, it, it, I think in terms of what the people are voting for, they are very different options. Mm, mm-hmm. um, it, it, yeah. It I mean, one of them supports the democracy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it's, uh, it's been quite, it's, it's a lot has happened. Like, I feel like I keep seeing the Netherlands in the head, in the news. There have been riots. There has been this scandal. But as far as the scandal and, and the resignation of the cabinet, and now they have a caretaker government. But I would say, interestingly, as far as like if you go into what people are worried about or if this is impacting these things are impacting their votes, largely no. Um, the it has been fairly stable. The pa- party that has been in power or the the leader Root, Mark Root, uh, yeah. who has been in power for over ten years now, is likely to be in power again. Yes, he's been prime um, minister since yeah. twenty ten and leader of the party since yeah. two thousand and six. So he's really made a career of this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but the yeah the dial has not moved on uh, on these issues. I would say, uh, which is kind of notable. 
So what is the issue? Like the scandal that everybody resigned for was the Dutch child care benefits scandal. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Yeah. So based in in short, uh, about like, I think 25 or 26,000 parents Mm -hmm. um, were sort of accused by like the tax authorities in the Netherlands Mm -hmm. um, of claiming child allowances um, uh, when they weren't allowed to. Um, like fraud, I guess fraudulently is the word for that. Um, yes. Uh, for several years, starting in 2012, which which spans over most of uh, Root's uh, leadership. Mm-hmm. But to be clear, like different parties, different coalitions, different governments. But he has been the leader consistently, and so it sort of estimates that about ten thousand families were forced to repay ten thousand tens of thousands of euros, um, and and this caused instances of unemployment and bankruptcy and there's enough evidence uh that the tax authority has admitted um that at least eleven thousand of those were specifically signaled out for scrutiny because of dual nationality or ethnic origin it it very much is a part of a a, a ongoing sense of systematic racism in these uh government uh, uh systems um in the netherlands Um, and experience of people of color in the Netherlands. And the fraudulent claims of, or I guess the tax authority made claims that were incorrect on purpose that said that these parents were fraudulently claiming benefits. Yes. But all the people that they included in this actually didn't commit fraud, right? No, they're, yeah, they were wrongly, yeah, they were wrongly addressed taken in for it and i mean it's important like these things happen with taxes like in uh, in lots of countries tax systems um audit or or specifically target uh, minorities and low income poor people because they're not going to have the resources or understanding of the system to actually challenge this Hmm. so a lot of the time tax systems can perpetuate sort of the the targeting of lower income um, and and often racially uh, specific uh, uh, targeting, um, and and eff- so effectively the government is making money off of them because they don't know how to, uh, or they don't necessarily have the resources to push back and say this isn't this is wrong or this isn't the correct targeting um, of me. Like I that that they have missed abusing abusingly uh, audited or targeted uh, groups of people yeah and then so after after this all came to light then there was this big report that came out at, like near the end of 2020 mm-hmm. and then there was uh an a, a compensation scheme that's come out that said like we we're going to pay them back and everything but it was taking a long mm-hmm. time so then around christmas one of the parties said hey we should give them a christmas gift all of the affected parents um and so like 750 euros as a christmas gift was given to like a subset of all of the parents mm-hmm. um <laughs> only lo- but like less than ten thousand. so it was like a third of all the people um were given this 750 euro gift and then that was like extended to then cover like half of the parents got this extra 750 euro mm-hmm. and then finally near the end of december this 30,000 euro compensation scheme was put out and said like everybody no matter how much you got charged you're getting 30,000 euro 
except for if you can get more than that like if you're <laughs> if you qualify for more like if you ended up paying more or you have like these other mm-hmm. like um extending uh problems like if you had bank- bankruptcy and incurred these other costs and everything mm-hmm. yeah um but then people weren't happy with just that they were like heads must roll um and then yeah. all of the heads rolled at once well uh, some so some people did start um resigning right before the mm-hmm. entirety of the cabinet resigned but then just how long ago last week did the whole cabinet resign oh i think it was a couple a few weeks ago now it was it was in february mid-february i think oh goodness that is yes <laughs> it's already but... march <laughs> <laughs> time is uh time is hard um but yeah so the the tricky part of it is again that like this has been happening since 2012 Mm -hmm. so there have been multiple ministers from multiple parties because the netherlands forms governments based on coalitions so the best uh agreement that they can come to with a group of parties and then that means that some ministers um were from parties that are no longer in the coalition anymore um, so the the impact of resignations is actually pretty scattered um, amongst coalition uh, past and, and current coalition partners. Um, so there, there has been a fair uh, number of resignations. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it also means that because it's sort of dispersed like that, like the interestingly, like Root is not particularly bearing um, the brunt of it i guess to a certain in in the way that you might expect uh it is being yeah it is being looking at they're very much framing it as a systematic uh failure uh rather than any individual uh, Mm -hmm. which means that while they've resigned people uh the government and and to a certain degree people don't generally believe um that any one person carries it all i guess yeah so like since the people's party for freedom and democracy um, Mark Root, Mark Root's party, and also his prime ministership. Um, he's been involved with coalition with uh, six other parties. So his first cabinet was the Christian Democratic Appeal and the Party for Freedom, which is Geert Wilder's party. Um, this was an unstable coalition because uh, this yes. was back when like all of the the like European debt crisis and austerity measures and all of this mm-hmm. stuff, right? Um, so then they had another election, and then formed a coalition with labor party um but then in the last election 2017 labor lost a bunch of support but the vvd did not lose support so now Mm -hmm. they then formed another coalition with democrat 66 which is a pretty cool party name i gotta be honest Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, it's a good name and then uh once again forming coalition with the christian democratic appeal and christian union so this so really the only party out of all of those that wasn't in power since this thing has been happening was the party for freedom. So since this has been happening, there's been Democrat 66, Christian union, CDA, the Christian democratic appeal, uh, labor and people's party for freedom and democracy over three, I guess that's two different cabinets mm-hmm. because the first cabinet wasn't around long enough for it to actually be part of this. Um, but yeah, there's like, it just like such a huge number of political parties involved with this across like, like six six parties and there's how many parties in in parliament um right now is is 14 parties right now have seats so like Mm -hmm. half of all parties in the netherlands are (laughs) are involved are involved with this yeah 
Yeah, and it's and I think so. It is quite rightfully to a, to a certain extent being held as a systematic problem, um, and and it has like really big implications. It was a, it's really uh, troubling for in terms of good governance practices, uh, and then the racial elements, which I think as we sort of expand on this election are clearly a major tension in the Netherlands, um, racial uh, discrimination and racial tensions. Um, and then, yeah, the, the violation of children's rights is a, another major component because this is money that was meant to support uh, children um, that would have been taken away when it was not rightfully taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, so so this does represent like this is going to be quite a mess uh, and, and uh, presumably a top target uh, for the future elected government to handle. Which and that future elected government looks like it will be Mark Root and... Mm-hmm some other coalition formation right yes yeah yeah his that party's support has really like it is held it is by far the most stable um and then the second most popular is also uh the freedom party as we had mentioned earlier is also very stable at the amount that they get will get but it it won't be any more than usual yeah and um like the cda and the democrat 66 look like Mm -hmm. they're basically going to maintain their seats that they got in 2017 the mm-hmm. democrat 66 is down a little bit but the cda is basically the same and vvd is up in what they're going to get so most likely even though this whole <laughs> scandal has rocked all of these parties um mm-hmm. there's not a huge change which i mean is kind of part of a proportional representation system right i feel yeah. like we've talked about this before is like instability that is stability because yeah <laughs> One small change um, doesn't really can't like change the entire entire makeup of government really very frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and and I think I think the the interesting sort of a, a part that we should get to because I think in a lot of these elections that we have covered, we've seen different ways that COVID the pandemic has impacted elections, and I think that in the Netherlands we're seeing it again in another way, like the another way that it is impacting that is a little bit different than we've seen previously okay um How and, so? and this well <laughs> uh so they it is going to be a three-day election okay. um they, they have pre-planned to sort of allow for that um but there's also there there have been uh after the in december and in until about now there have been really fairly significant uh measures taken uh to stop the spread, uh, including uh, curfew uh, for the whole country, uh, that that sort of resulted in uh, several days of rioting uh, that that the country had never seen before. Um, there is a growing concern over the amount of uh, restrictions, um, and and so and and I and I guess the reason that the the VVD party. Um, ultimately is still popular is because that they by and large the Dutch uh, the Dutch population feels that it has been well handled that they're they're looking for competent and stable leadership they don't want to make major changes which mm-hmm. is something that I think we've seen it favors the party going in as we've talked uh, the party already in power because they want the stability mm-hmm. um, but you do also see the government trying to for political reasons and balance political and health concerns of lockdown measures are looking to try and ease them um, because people are getting feeling so antsy about them. Uh, But 
on the other side, the health component of it doesn't necessarily allow for that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that's interesting to think about, as well as how it has impacted um, uh, the Netherlands' more far-right parties. So uh, the Freedom Party is led by, uh, as as we've mentioned, I I don't think we've mentioned, but Wielders. um, uh, And he is an anti-Islamist populist. Uh, but he hasn't really, there, you, there has been some thought that he and, uh, um, oh, Baudet, uh, who is also the, uh, of, was a growing popular far right leader could, uh, uh, party leader, uh, could grab onto some new seats because that had, they had, uh, in the last election, uh, for the freedom party had uh, just over 20 seats. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you can see how they're growing in popularity. Um, but they haven't really been able to get the same traction because people are not as worried about immigration right now. They're focused on the pandemic. So, yeah. Can I say that <laughs> the Party for Freedom, right? Like when you say he's like anti-Islamic, is mm-hmm. like wants to li- like their their party platform is actually ban the Quran and shut down all mosques in the Netherlands, yeah. right? <laughs> like and and restrict um welfare uh and government funding to um natives of the country and not have any money go to immigrants this is like legit stuff and not just like not just like things that he says out of like like dog whistles or anything this is Mm -hmm. like yeah i just want to shut down every mosque in the country (laughs) yes which it's just like he's shocking. not burying it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's shocking, but also it—that's the opposition part. Like that is the second most popular party. So it—it it has until recently been a uh, a front runner in terms of uh, the uh, voters' opinion in in the Netherlands, which is an important thing to consider, I guess. So, so you're saying that you know people aren't so. Um, preoccupied with immigration right now it's like covid type stuff and they don't they think that the government's generally handled this stuff well but like what other types of headlines are dominating this election cycle like what are the main things that people are caring about so like that's really like the the thing is that i that i've been reading is that for across the parties it's essentially like there isn't a particularly dominant other issue the concern is the pandemic so it's really stifled a lot of political uh, conversations uh, around other uh, normally other important political uh, discussions. Um, so normally immigration would be the hot issue of uh, at least at least a major major issue, but it has really been stifled by it. And and so that I think that is important to think about is the way the Netherlands is not necessarily having a conversation about broader uh, is it the election headlines anyway are not super having a lot of conversation about other issues um and and so party other party platform issues that would normally get brought up or discussed uh are not necessarily in what the government or what the voters are looking to or really paying any attention to it is really being dominated by covid by covid so i think that it's also brings up an interesting question about uh, another way that holding an election during a pandemic is a challenge because it is hard to expect the voter. I think t- when 
uh, countries in crisis over an illness to also have the the space to take on other and consider other platform issues, I guess. So in su- in summary, what you're saying is nobody really cares about things other than COVID. Mm-hmm. Probably the same parties are going to be in power more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and the super racist guy won't be in power with those people. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he won't. They won't form a coalition with him, and while he probably won't see a dramatic loss, he won't see. He might lose some seats. He is very unlikely to see any gains. Uh, I think. But they did form a coalition with him in 2010, right? This mm-hmm. is like yeah. the, the the shocking thing. Anyway, yeah, that's the Netherlands. I think. Because it is important to point out that that scandal is also a racial scandal that specifically target, <laughs> targets uh, Islamic uh, individuals uh, predominantly. So yeah. I don't and know that we can say the Freedom Party is the only party that feels this way, or to a certain extent. But is. out of all the parties that were that formed a coalition with the, with Ruta's party over the mm-hmm. last ten years, the only party not involved in this scandal <laughs> is the Freedom <laughs> Party, or the yeah. Party for Freedom. Oh. Uh, a funny thing, isn't it? Anyway, well, we Kaylee, can move on to some good news. I have some. I have some just some just pretty fun, pretty fun science news. Perfect. Space news. So you would think that cemeteries and graveyards are not <laughs> are what? not are not necessarily like fun, upbeat places. Mm-hmm. But Kaylee, what? What would you say if I told you that scientists have found that graveyards are actually super great refugees for vulnerable plant species? I would say, sure. Okay. Maybe. So this research was done um, by researchers in China, and they looked at graveyard plots um, and compared them to just like surrounding kind of typical um, fields that are just like generally untouched or like farmland. Um, and they found that in a burial plot area, there were 81 native plant species in the graveyard. Mm-hmm. And if they took those non-burial, if they took that size of burial plot and just like picked 125 random spots or 30 random spots in non-graveyard regions. So they picked 125 spots in a graveyard and 30 spots in a non-graveyard. And they found that in the graveyard spots, there were 81 native plant species. And in the wheat fields and surrounding area, there are only 34. A quick question. Yeah. Why did the, if, why would you not sample the graveyard and the outside the same amount? Like, the non-graveyard spots the same amount. So if I was going to, if I'm guessing, um, mm-hmm. it would be because there's probably a lot more heterogeneity in the graveyard locations because mm-hmm. like if you just go to like the countryside in Canada, mm-hmm. it's pretty much going to be a lot of the same plants pretty much everywhere. But in all these different graveyards, there's going to be like areas that have a lot of plants and some graveyards that are like, like some graveyards here are just like mown grass, right? And mm-hmm. then other graveyards are like a lot of flowers and stuff. So like this included a graveyard. The smallest one in the study was just two square meters. Oh. Um, so it was like a very small graveyard, just like a small shrine. But it had 24 native plant species, which is almost oh. as much as like a normal 
large sized wheat field that they found. <laughs> so, so this was actually like pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the, um, the plants that are in the graveyards that are maintained there because they're like fancy flowering plants and native plants and stuff. Um, half of them are pollinated by insects. Um, and so they like help support insects, but in the wheat fields and surrounding area, only a third of them were insect pollinated. So the graveyards are also support, um, insects and pollinators. So did they, do they know, like my guess as to why is because dead things help other things grow. Like Ah, that's what compost is, but. So, the, yeah, so this is something that they looked at and they were like, it's unlikely that it's because there's just like extra fertilizer in the ground because there <laughs> are dead people. Um, and it's more so just because like people respect graveyards mm-hmm. um, because this has been this is something that's been found in other places as well. So like in 2015, this article reports that there were rare orchids found in cemeteries in Turkey. Um, there were fancy medicinal plants in Bangladesh and um, the last remnants of steppe grasslands in Europe were found in um, ancient burial mounds in Ukraine because oh. like people don't want to like change stuff. They just leave it mm-hmm. the way it is. Um, and even in the new world, these things happen. Um, half of graveyards in Illinois are nature preserves because they house um endangered species oh wow that's very interesting so, yeah so these these plots in that they that they studied in china are not um mm-hmm. are not uh conservation regions um but all of these all of these places that have endangered prairie vegetation in illinois are actually nature preserves so this seems to be kind of this 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 upbeat side of uh graveyards which i think i don't know honestly graveyards are pretty fun to like walk through they're like nice and calming and there's like flowers around and like i don't know normally little tiny animals and stuff i think we Um, walked through the loyalist graveyard here one time didn't yes we did (laughs) it was nice in new brunswick in fredericton yeah i that that graveyard um (laughs) gets a lot of use yeah uh, it, it may not have a lot of uh species yeah as like a running track for the middle school yeah um yeah no i think that's interesting because it i think it also kind of ties back to what like gutierrez was saying about like the the important like relationship between humans and these nature spaces that can you know help things to thrive like it's humans in a space are not inherently uh negative to the success of uh or the like it's it's a symbiotic relationship sometimes it's just about not abusing that yeah and like here it shows that like oh if you think that if we treat land as like being sacred and having Mm -hmm. value as if it were like holding our deceased loved ones then uh plant life can survive and thrive in those regions compared to when we just treat it like a field (laughs) (laughs) Yes, which, given how many people there have been, a lot of land probably does hold deceased uh, deceased ancestors. Yes. Well, on that note, <laughs> thank you for listening to Probably yeah. About Politics. <laughs> um, if you're walking through a graveyard right now, 
you're the lucky winner. Send us yeah. a tweet of a picture of you listening to the podcast right now in the graveyard, um, and we'll send you a sticker. Um, uh, and if you're not doing that, just remember to like, rate, and review the podcast and send it to your friends. Yes. Thanks for listening. To probably we love politics. you. Bye. We love you all. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.